Please turn in your Bibles now to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12 is our reading of God's word this morning and our text for the sermon this morning. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Hosea chapter 12. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. A merchant in whose hands are false balances He loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions. And through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his bloodshed on him, his blood guilt on him, and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. May the Lord give understanding, clarity, challenge, and conviction from his word today through Isaiah chapter 12. If you would, do remain standing and bow with me in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for allowing us to be here today. Your grace and your mercy that has followed us and has brought us to this place where we could know you. We can hear your word and we can have relationship with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that comes through Christ and his payment of his blood shed on the cross. We thank you for the grace that reach down to us so that we could receive that gift and have it applied in our lives. We thank you for drawing us into a loving community of church, of godly people who you have saved, sinners who, who, for whom Christ died. And we thank you for allowing us to, to minister uh, to each other. We thank you for our time of worship this morning. And we pray now, Lord, and thank you for those who are here. We know that some aren't feeling well, some are not here. We pray for Nick as in his absence, Lord, in his sickness. We thank you for Dwayne who thought he couldn't be here but came back. And we thank you for just allowing him to, to be here in this place today. We pray for your healing for those who, who have uh, different uh, sicknesses and challenges, Lord. Some who are here with, with coughs and sore throats and uh, just different ailments, Lord. So we, we thank you for um, your blessing and your help and your healing through these processes. Our sicknesses, Lord, remind us of the world that we live in and, and the turmoil and some of the hardships that we go through, those things that won't be a part of heaven. We rejoice, Lord, to know that sickness, death, pain, suffering, tiredness, night, evening, 
tiredness, none of those things will be a part of heaven. But we will enjoy a time of eternity with you. It'll be something that we can't even imagine now, but we have a glimpse of when we look into your word and see what you have provided. You said we can't even imagine what it's going to be like, the things that you have prepared for us. So we, we by faith, look forward to that. Help us to endure with that, with that uh, blessing and that reward in mind. It, is, it, it guides our hope. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope, and, and we thank you for that. Bless us now as we look at your word, the difficult word of Hosea that challenges us in so many areas. We pray you to open up your word to us today. Help it to be plain and, and uh, effective for us so that our lives can bring glory to you in all that we do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But please be seated as our choir comes with a song before the message of God's word today. Hosea 12 is our text this morning. Much of the content, context and background will be found in Genesis. Genesis 27, 28, 29, 30, 30, 28, 29, 31, and 32 are some of the chapters that you can read of this week to, to go over some of the history of Israel that's spoken of here in Hosea chapter 12. It's always interesting for me, and it's the reason why we go through the scriptures as we do, because they tie together. And it will help us get a better understanding. So Genesis will help us understand Hosea, and Hosea will help us um, look and see what God is actually doing in Genesis, in Jacob's life. So we'll take a look at some of that as we go through this text this morning. In Hosea, God is dealing graciously with Israel as he tells his prophet Hosea to take on a wife who is unfaithful and will be unfaithful to him in marriage. And this wife is a picture of the nation of Israel. God has taken Israel as his own. He has been faithful to Israel, and yet in spite of his faithfulness, Israel has abandoned God and gone and turned away from God to others. God is dealing graciously and patiently and even, even lovingly, as we saw in the last chapter. He says, how can I treat you like I have treated wicked nations that I have destroyed in the past? He says, I can't do that. But he also says, I will deal with you. I will chastise you, and I will again bring you to myself. So we see that that chastisement is a part of God's dealing with those who belong to him, and it's a part of his cleansing of them and drawing them to himself as opposed to how he deals with those who are not related to him and how he judges them and condemns them eternally as they pay for their sin. And so we see God in his mercy and his grace, and we also see God in his wrath displayed in, in, in this book. And so it, it should help us get a, a fuller um, uh, picture of God and give us a full appreciation for this God that we serve. He starts off in the first couple of verses of making his case against Israel. What has Israel done? How have they been unfaithful to him? He, he talks about their folly in verse 1. Listen to this. Ephraim, which is another word for Israel, feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. Now, you, you know the, the visual picture you get from that. Nobody, when it gets hungry, goes outside and opens their mouth and expect the wind to feed them. And they're not going to get much fulfillment out of that. They may get a belly full of air, 
but they're not going to get satisfaction from that. He says Israel is pursuing things that cannot satisfy them. When you go against God, you are going towards something that cannot satisfy you. Do you realize that God made you? He made you. He knows exactly what you are and exactly what you need. I remember being a child, I always thought that my parents had no idea what I needed, and I had a better idea of what I needed than they did. Even as a young child, you know you need that candy. They don't know you need it, but you know you need it. As a teenager, you know you need that money. You know you need that freedom. You know you need that, 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 that okay to go to that place, to go with that person. You, you need that. They don't know you need that. And so we think that we need something. But he says, you're pursuing the east wind. You can't catch wind. <laughs> and when you catch it, what do you have? Nothing that satisfies. He says they multiply falsehood and violence. This is going to come up again later on in this chapter. So let's deal with it then when it comes up. Um, but he talks about um, their sin and their turning away from him. And he goes into detail in verses 2 through 8. He starts off saying that what I've said before, that God will deal with sin. He doesn't sweep sin under the rug. And we need to know that there's a cost. There's a consequence for sin. Look at verse 2. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, will repay him according to his deeds. Now we know that God deals with sin, but the focus of this chapter and what I want you to get today is how he does that. And these two phrases are very key. He says, according to his ways, according to his deeds. According to his ways and according to his deeds. I want you to think on that. I want you to remember that phrase. And as we go through this chapter, bring that to, to mind how God deals with his people. How he deals, it says he deals with what? Jacob, according to his ways, he will repay him according to his deeds. Now, when we use the word Jacob, we know that it is the name of one of the characters in Genesis. It was, it was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and we have Jacob. We know that Jacob was a twin son of Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had two boys, twins. Jacob and Esau, we know that they are, are, are very central to, to, to all of Scripture, actually, because it's, they fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. It says, I'm going to give you children that you can't even number. And Abraham was like, what? I'd love to see that, but I'm getting old. My wife is getting old. God had promised that he was 75 years old, and he said, I'm a little old. And God waited another 25 years. And, and in the meantime, he's about 86 years old when, when he said, well, you know, I do have a, I do have a, a handmaid that, that, that maybe since my wife is, is too old to have children, maybe you, 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 you'll work through her. God says, no, that's not the way I'm going to do it. And so uh, Abraham had some failures there, some things where he didn't fully trust God. But now at 99 years old, God tells him, no, I am going to make you and Sarah mother and father, naturally, and God did. And he brought him a child. His name was Isaac. God brought Isaac into the world, and, and uh, so that was his one son that he had a promise. He had another son, Ishmael, that he had through uh, uh, Hagar, but this, prom this promised son, Isaac, was the one. And so Isaac lived on later, and he had two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name later was changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's just often in, in the scriptures we'll see the whole nation referred to as Jacob. 
because that is their father. But he's, re, he's making a reference here to draw our minds back to the life of Jacob for a particular person, purpose. He says in verse 2 that he has an indictment against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. God does that. What we're going to see is the sovereign work of God in the life of his people, particularly in the life of of Jacob and you'll be encouraged and you'll see how God works in our lives even in our sin our wrong behavior our turning from him in all those things he has his 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 he has our lives in his hands and he's working to complete what he has promised and that's what we'll see here God is saying Israel I have been faithful to you throughout your history. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. But I've been good, I've been faithful, and I've been patient and loving and gracious towards you all your life. And guess what he's saying? He's still going to be that. He still is that. Let's, let's, let's look into it and see what he says. In verse 3, he goes more in the specifics of Jacob's life. You see that? In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. We're reminded of two aspects of Jacob's life that tell something about his history and something about the whole nation of, of Israel that, that we need to pay attention to. He says, first of all, in the womb, he took his brother uh, by the heel. Now, what, what does that mean, and, 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 and what are we to get out of that? Let's keep a bookmark in Hosea 12 and turn to Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Now, I want to tell you something. A lot of us have electronic Bibles, and that's good. I have two of them right in front of me here, my phone and on my tablet. But I also have my hard copy. <laughs> and there's some advantages to a hard copy. One is you can take this bookmark and you can put it in one section, and you can take another bookmark and put it in the other section, and you can flip back and forth. Now, you might have some kind of technology on your phone that allows you to do that, but the ones I have don't, don't do that. You're going to need that today. So if you got your hard copy, get that one out. It's going to help you better. Plus, you can look at all the verses around it. Genesis 25 talks about the circumstances of Jacob's birth. So let's take a look at it. So it seems like his wife Rebecca was having a little difficulty in her pregnancy and God spoke to her and this is what he said in verse 23. With me, Genesis 25, verse 23. Everybody there say amen. I'll wait a little while because not everybody said amen. You're going to have to be with me on this today because we're going to turn to several. We're going to look through Genesis 25, several chapters of Genesis. So don't, don't go away from me. Genesis 25, 23. If you're there with me, say amen. amen. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay, God makes a promise. He, he, he reveals some truth to both Isaac and Rebekah, telling them what their children are going to be like. First of all, you're not having one boy. You're having two. You're having twins. I know moms don't like to hear that all the time. It's <laughs> kind of a scary thought. But he says, yeah, you, you got two boys there, and this is what's going to happen to them. Notice this happens before they're born. It's not based on anything they did or would do. It's based on, on, on God and, and, and his choices and, and his sovereignty. Then he says this, when her days, verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Esau or Edom means red. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. 
So his name was called Jacob. Now, there's something, I guess, in the Hebrew when it talks about holding his heel, um, um, that, that phrase means cheater. How that connects, I don't know, but that phrase means cheater, and the word Jacob means cheater or trickster. So from birth, his name was going to be called Jacob, cheater or trickster. When I was growing up, everybody wanted to be slick. They wanted to get over on everybody. That was the whole thing. So I grew up with a whole bunch of Jacobs. Everybody thought they could be a better Jacob than the next person. So God tells Rebecca and, and, and Isaac, from the birth of this child, one's going to be hairy and rough, outdoorsman type, one's going to be slick, wheeler and dealer. That's, that's what's spoken of to us here. And so we see uh, the origin of his birth and his name, and it means something. He's a deceiver. Let's go on and see what else. In that same chapter, verse tw chapter 25, verse 29, 29 through 34, is the account of Jacob and Esau, the two twin brothers, and how since Esau was born first, he was the firstborn, he had the right of, of birthright. In other words, a blessing from his father. And so uh, Jacob made a scheme to trick him out of it. And you can read that in verse 29 through 34. I'm not going to read all of that, but just wanted to address it there. So Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright. He made a pot of or soup or whatever and he dude was so hungry he said man I give anything to have some food and so Jacob said hey this is my moment you know people who trick they 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 I think they stay awake at night looking for those kind of moments and when they come they recognize them real fast and they pounce on them and that's exactly what Jacob did he pounced on that moment and he traded bargained with his brother Esau for some stew to get his birthright. But it also says in verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau, it says, despised his birthright. So we see sneaky acts by Jacob, but we also see the act of Esau in not respecting his birthright more than a pot of stew. So both of these things happen together. God is, is still working here, um, not only does he steal the birthright, he said, well, how's he going to pull this off? Well, verse, chapter 27, the first verse says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, he answered, here I am. So Isaac, the father, is, Isaac, the father, is having this time when He's saying, I'm getting old now, and it's time for me to give my oldest son the blessing that he has coming. Now, guess who hears this? Verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening. <laughs> Eavesdropping, right? She wasn't minding her own business. She was, she was dipping a little bit. She was, how she was going to... Uh, work this thing out. And so what happens is she comes up with a scheme. She tells her son Jacob, hey, now here's the opportunity. Here's what you should do. I'm going to, he said, your father just sent Esau out to go hunt, catch something to eat, fix it for him, and then he's going to bless him. Esau's going to be out a while while he's hunting. And so why, why don't you dress up like Esau Put some stuff on your arms so your arms feel hairy like his. I'm going to cook up some food just like Esau would have cooked it. And you give it to your father and your father can't see he's getting old. He'll bless you instead of Esau. So the trickster is at work. And he keeps on doing his job, right? Doing what he does. He has an accomplice here, his own mom. 
She's a part of it. You know, you, you don't get the picture that this is a holy people that God is blessing, that he's preparing to work through. He said, God don't want to have nothing to do with these folks. <laughs> That's kind of the, the ideal we have. And keep in mind, God doesn't do what he does because of the holiness of his people. But in spite of their wickedness, in spite of their tricks. God had said all along that Jacob would be, would be the one blessed, but Jacob went about it in his own means. And he had accomplished his own mom to bring it about. And so Jacob pulls it off. He tricks his father. He steals the blessing. Esau comes back. Look at verse 35. In Genesis 27, verse 35, Esau comes back with his dinner, his meal, and he gives it to his father, and his father says, well, who are you? He said, well, I'm Esau. I thought Esau just came. I just blessed him, and he said, he's going to be blessed. He will be blessed. And you can ask, why did this happen? It seems like God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? <laughs> How does Jacob pull this off, and, and how does this actually happen? Well, he, he does it by his own, his, his own character of, of being a cheater, being a trickster, along with his mom, and he pulls this off. But look at Esau's response, verse 35. But he said, your brother, this is, this is what um, Isaac says to Esau. He said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing." Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. I want you to get that because he ties Jacob's nature to his name. And he says, wow, that dog, that tricky dog. He done stole, he tricked me twice, is what he said. Now, we, we won't turn back, but you remember the keys that I said in Hosea, when he says God is going to judge Jacob, what? According, I'm sorry, yeah. according to his ways and according to his deeds, God's going to, going to judge Jacob, isn't he? And so, Let's see what happens with this. Because of Jacob being uh, a trickster and because Esau being tricked this way, it says in verse 41, Genesis 27, 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing. That, that's got to be a strange thing. These are twin brothers. I would imagine they would have been close. We have, we have twins in our church too, don't we? <laughs> They're pretty close, even though they separated by a couple hundred miles now. They talk every day. <laughs> They get along, but ain't that right the way? He, he's nodding his head. He can't talk much. But <laughs> these, these brothers, I would imagine, would have been close. But it says now Esau hated Jacob. He hated him because of what he had done to him. And then it says here, <laughs> the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau and her elder son were told to Rebekah. Rebekah hears again, and she comes to the rescue again. You wonder why Esau was the, was the outdoorsman, strong type, and seemed like Jacob was like a little mama's boy, wasn't he? Mama was steady protecting him. Not just protecting him, but being a part of his tricks and his games and his schemes as well. Now, she comes up with something. Look at verse 46. First, she tells J Jacob, man, you, you need to run. You need to get out of here. Why don't you go to my hometown where, where, where my dad is and, and, and find, just, just, just leave and go there. And when things are safe, I'll send word back. Then you can return after your brother gets, all, get, gets over, you know, how mad he is. That's what she says to him. Then verse 46, Rebekah says to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. 
If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good would my life be to me? Now, what if she does? She makes a spiritual case to, do, to get done what she wants done. What she wants done is Jacob to move away under the blessing of his parents and to run from the threat of Esau. So she says, you know, she says to Jacob, she says to her husband, Isaac, you know, these, these women around here is bad. And it's true. It's true. She says Esau is, 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 is affected by bad influence of women in his life. I hope that don't happen to Jacob. Jacob need to move away and find a wife from my hometown. I want to tell you what's happening. Human beings are scheming and getting themselves in such a mess, but behind the scene, God is working to do exactly what he wants done. He doesn't want Jacob to take a wife from there. He's going to protect Jacob even in his wickedness that he's done. He had promised Jacob would get the blessing, but Jacob did it his way, and God used his way to accomplish God's purpose. You see what God is doing here? Let me tell you the hope that we have. There's not a scheme, trick, or mess in our life that God can't work in. It's our doing, and we deserve the consequences of it, but God works in his grace and his mercy. Now, this is not to give you the okay to do whatever you want to do and count God the blessing. Because there's consequences for that. Look what, what Rebecca does. Because she has schemed, now she has to have a dishonest relationship with her husband. She has to try to manipulate and control and bring about all these things. If she had trusted God, she would have recognized from Jacob's birth that God would have brought this about. How would he have done it? I don't know. But he didn't have to have lying, cheating, uh, uh, manipulative schemes of human beings to accomplish it. But God is able to do it even in that. He is able to work in the mess that we live in and bring glory to himself in spite of our sin. Not because of our sin, in spite of our sin. So don't ever take this as a license to do sin and say, God, you blessed this mess. Because God will judge that. But if you have made a mess and you humbly submit and come to God, recognize that God can work even in the most extreme circumstances where you don't see him in his working. So God steps in this mess. He's telling this story to us so that later on in Israel's history, they could recognize the mess that you're in, you can still submit to me and get out of. You can repent. You can turn to me. And I can restore you, is what he's saying. He said, I restored the trickster Jacob. We're not even finished with this story. I asked the question as I read through the life of Jacob. At what point does Jacob meet God? At what point does he stop his trickster ways and does he begin to trust in God? Well, we get some insight. The Bible doesn't always tell us, boom, it happened right here. Well, sometimes what we do is we get the flow of his life and we start to see some things. So let's see what happens. Let's paint the scene, remind ourselves what's happening. Jacob has tricked his brother. He lied to his father. He fooled his father. He has schemed with his mother. His brother wants to kill him, and now he's got to run away from home. Under the, the guise of, I'm looking for a good woman. Yeah. A lot of times we burn bridges in our lives and wonder if we can ever reconnect. I bet we, when he's running away from home, he's wondering, will I ever be able to talk to Esau again? Will I see my father before he dies? Will I ever see my mother again? I've been put in this mess by my own doing, and, and the, the, the remedy of it is my mother's schemes along with me, and here I am. But look what happens. He heads off for this home. In verse 28, chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Let's read that. 
Genesis 28, 1 and 2. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. All right? So he has the blessing of his father to do just what his mom schemed, right? You get where I'm going? You following along with me so far? Maybe I'm going too slow. Let me go on. All right. So he goes there. And to, 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 to get to the point, he, he's, he's coming there, and God begins to speak to him. Verse 10 of chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place, stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So we, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We remember that song from childhood, right? That's the, that's the scene here. Jacob is dreaming. God is speaking to Jacob in a dream. God is revealing some truth. To Jacob. God is reaching out to Jacob. Do you realize God may be reaching out to you today? God may be speaking to you in your situation right now. Kind of a confusing dream to Jacob. He doesn't quite know how to take it. But one thing he knows is that God is speaking to him. And he needs to listen. Verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I want you to notice something. Most English Bibles show this. In verse 13, it says, Behold the Lord. Notice the word Lord. All right? Notice each letter individually, and what you will see is that the capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. It doesn't always show it that way. It shows it that way for a reason. It's showing that way to designate the name Jehovah. Since we don't have it in the Hebrew, we have it in the English. In, the English has translated the word Jehovah as capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. And so he is saying, let's read it, verse 13, Behold, Jehovah stood above it and said, I am Jehovah the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Why, does, why do we point this out? It's because a lot of people refer to God or to a God or some being God, but they don't recognize there is but one God. God is saying, I am Jehovah God. I am the God who revealed myself to my people, and I'm revealing myself through my people to reach my people. And I'm not no other God that's set on a pole. I'm not some other God that you're worshiping, making a golden image. I am Jehovah God. I'm not just some general God term. I, I, am, I am not just a, a, the, 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 this mystic and mysterious God of the universe. I am Jehovah God. I have a name. I am distinct and above everything and everyone else. Jacob is beginning to meet Jehovah God. There, there are a lot of people who, who know something about God, but don't have a personal relationship with the God of the Bible. And Jacob is beginning to meet this God of Scripture. And God, if, 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 if someone is going to meet, if you and I are going to meet God, it's because God is going to reveal himself to us. And he does that with Jacob here, and he does that to us, what he's doing right now, through his word. He says to Jacob, I am Jehovah, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And then he says this, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You will recognize this is 
the same promise that God had made to Abraham, that God had made to Isaac, and God is now making now to Jacob. God is keeping his promise to Abraham now, specifically with this man, Jacob. Question, is it because Jacob is so good that he's such a God-loving and God-honoring person? No, he's running from his brother who he tricked that wants to kill him. He is schemed with his wife to with his mother to trick his father and now he's kicked out of his house. God says, I'm revealing myself to you, Jacob. And he begins to do that. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Jehovah is in this place. I didn't know it. Hmm. Verse 20, look at what Jacob does. He prays. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again in my father's house in peace, then Jehovah shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Hmm. God's beginning to speak to Jacob, and Jacob is beginning to respond, but he still has this condition on it. If God blesses me, and I come back home, and I'm safe, then I'm going to trust him as God. Okay? So he's beginning to in this encounter with God. It's not quite that strong faith that you and I would look for, right? That he just falls out and say, praise the Lord, I've met Jehovah. My whole life is committed to him. That's what we'd like him to say, right? But he just kind of says, well, you know, if this is the real deal, it's going to be pretty good for me. And uh, I'll be blessed. If God says, if what God says is true, I'm going to serve him. I don't want to. What did he say? I ain't, I ain't hating Jacob because of that. <laughs> because God always does what he says he's going to do. And he's going to be faithful. The question is, is Jacob going to be faithful to what he is committed to do? God is going to be faithful. Let me go back to Hosea and Titus. And keep a marker back in Genesis 28. We'll come back there. But we need to go back to our text. Verse 3, in the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. We haven't gotten to that part where in his manhood he strove with God, but we'll get to that in just a moment. He says, he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and he sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, that's what we just looked at, and there God spoke with us, the Lord, the, the, the Lord, Jehovah, the God of hosts. Jehovah is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Go down to verse 12. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. That's the same country that we just talked about. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. Now you can read the story of Jacob. I'm not going to look at each verse, but I just want to refer to it. Jacob went down to, 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 to this place and, and he prayed. Now he had met with God and he prayed, Lord, if you bring me safely back, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to serve you. What happens? He goes down to that place and he meets his uncle Laban and his, his uncle Laban has, has a beautiful daughter, Rachel. And, and uh, Jacob knew from the first time he met her, he says, that's the woman. That's the one I want to marry. And he wants to marry this. And he, he talks to Laban and says, yes, I want to marry you. I want to marry your daughter. And what do I need to do to do that? He says, well, why don't you come work, work for me? And you can earn the, 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 the money that you would need to pay to, for, for her hand in marriage. And uh, they make a bargain. And Jacob says he will work seven years for Rachel and he does that but something happens after seven years there's a wedding and Laban says uh, he doesn't say anything actually he talks behind the scenes and he takes his older 
daughter Leah puts the veil on her and marches her down the aisle and and uh, honeymoon takes place and the next morning Jacob is like this ain't Rachel <laughs> you wonder if that kind of story is in the Bible it is and it's true <laughs> what's happening the trickster got tricked <laughs> God says, I will deal with you according to your ways. And so he's beginning to deal with Jacob as a trickster. He got tricked and Laban said, well, you, you don't know our customs here, son. You can't marry the youngest girl. First, you got to marry the oldest one. Now, if you work for me seven more years, you can have Rachel too. And Jacob said, dude, <laughs> he's mad. But the trickster got tricked. He has to work seven more years and he gets Rachel as well. He got schemed, but that doesn't end there. Laban says, son, you're my son-in-law now. Why don't you come work in my business? And what happens, and we don't read through all of it, but I'll give you some verses you can read. The chapters, as I mentioned, is Genesis chapter 28, 29, 31, and 32. You can read those. And there's a rich story of Jacob in there. And what happens is he begins to work for his father-in-law Laban. And it says God blesses Jacob tremendously. So whatever sheep and herds that, that are in his responsibility, God blesses blesses them and he, they just grow they just explode and Laban not so much and so over time Jacob is blessed tremendously and Laban not so much for all this had initially belonged to it's like Laban said look I, I'll give you a little bit get you started and while you're working for me you can care for this but while he's caring for that it just explodes to the point where Laban's sons are saying man Jacob man Dude is taking over all dad's stuff. Now, why do they care? They're like, dad ain't going to have no inheritance for us. They get mad at Jacob. And so Jacob, Laban starts to trick Jacob. He said, well, you know, hmm, you know, all that you got really is mine. So I'm going to take this, but you can have this and see what you do with that. And then again, God blesses Jacob and explodes. He said, well, you know, that's mine too. Huh? Let me take a little bit of that and you can have this left. And everything Jacob touches just grows and expands and God blesses. To the point Jacob says, man, I'm getting out of here. This dude is tricking me. He tells, he takes his, his two wives at that point. He takes them and says, it's time for us to leave, girls. We got to go. We're going to take what we got and we're going to leave out of here. He says, your father has changed my wages 10 times over the time. In other words, Jacob has been tricked by the trickster himself. God will deal with him according to his ways, according to his deeds. And so he decides to leave home or leave that place, and he takes all his possessions. Guess what? He's rich now. He's rich we don't see any, any real change in his relationship with God so much, but we see that he's blessed and he's rich. And he decides to leave that place because he's not getting along too well with Laban. He's kind of scared his sons are going to start acting up as well. So he leaves there, but he doesn't tell Laban. <laughs> I really should point all these out, but I'm just going to walk through it. He doesn't tell Laban. In fact, it says that he cheats Laban, tricks him, and leaves. You can imagine Laban is kind of mad. All the sons are mad, and they go after Jacob. But they make a truce. God protects Jacob from Laban. He sends a dream to Laban, and he says, don't touch him. Don't you dare touch him <laughs> he puts his shield over Jacob and he protects Jacob and so Jacob now heads back home it's it's been several years over 14 for sure probably closer to 20 where he's now returning back to his own homeland but he's got one thing in mind what's Esau gonna say 
how's Esau going to treat me? He's scared to death of Esau. And here is where, on his way home, knowing he's going to run into Esau, he meets with God again. Turn with me now to Genesis chapter 31. Actually, Genesis chapter 32. He devises a scheme to split up all of his family, his people, into two camps. Send one ahead and one behind so that if he meets Esau, when they meet Esau, they can give him all these gifts. And then Esau will be appeased. And then the next group will meet him. He can give him some more gifts. Esau will feel better because he's not sure what Esau's attitude is. In verse 22, it says, That same night he arose, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Look at verse 30. Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob had an encounter with God. God has blessed him throughout his life. God has orchestrated every element of his life. And now he was coming to face his biggest fear, his brother whom he had tricked, he hadn't seen for decades. And God says, I got you, Jacob. I got you. Back to our text in Hosea. Verse 7, he says, The nation of Israel is like a merchant in whose hands are false balances. The nation of Israel had act like Jacob the trickster. A merchant in whose hands are false balances. Can you imagine going to get some gas and put it in your car, and, and you, you do the pump, and sometimes I do this. I, I'm, just, I'm just a cynical person. I, I, I get exactly one gallon and I see what the price is on there. And I see if it matches the price that they advertise. You know, if they say it's going to be 236 a gallon, I'm going to see that one gallon. They better say 236. Otherwise, they got a false balance. You can imagine the surprise and dismay if you had one gallon and it said 436 instead of 236. You'd be like, I'm paying two extra dollars a gallon. They cheating me right? You can imagine going to the store and buying a bag of oranges or a bunch of apples or, or a bunch of bananas and, and they say it should be 39 cents a pound and you put it on there and it's 10 pounds and they charge you $18. You go, I might not be a mathematician, but that don't sound right. When I get receipts from my favorite store, Walmart, I look at my receipt, I'm adding stuff in my head, and it comes out to $59 when I thought it should be 18 Something is wrong, right? I'm the kind of person when it beep, 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 if they, if they double beep, it beep, beep, wait a minute. I ain't paying for that twice. I agree to pay for one. Now, I don't shoplift, but I don't, let, I don't allow you to steal from me either. You do the same thing. When we deal in businesses, we expect people to treat us fairly. The prophet was saying, Israel, y'all deal with unjust, what he says here, false balances. 
You're cheating people everywhere you can. They developed a whole economy, a whole society where they just cheated people. What was happening is, as you turn away from God, as your relationship, your vertical relationship with God, when you turn away from God, it's going to affect how you deal with fellow man. We're a society that thinks that we can fix the woes of society by whatever means we can, but don't recognize the problem with our horizontal relationships is, is systematically, it, the, the, the fundamental problem is our vertical relationship with God is not right. And you can... In, enact laws and all kinds of things and I'm not disagreeing that some laws need to be done but listen the problem is the heart of people and it's their heart towards God that needs to change first he says you're a merchant in whose hands are false balances and he says you he loves to oppress loves to oppress Back in verse 1, it says, they multiply falsehood and violence. They make covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. He says, look, you, you, the nation has made uh, 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 alliances with people that do not honor God, and so you have shown that you've turned away from God by going after those kind of people. Why do you go after? Because of money. Because you want to make a business deal. Because something is to profit for you and you're doing anything you can to make a dollar. That's what Israel had become. It is no longer stood for worshiping God and honoring God. It stood for whatever they could make and whatever profit they could get. That's why they turned to these false gods. Is why they wanted it to rain when it could rain so their, their crops would grow so they could make money. And they said, if Jehovah God don't do it, we'll find Baal, and he'll bless, and he'll reign, and he'll send sun, and he'll do whatever, and we'll be good. So it don't matter to us whether it's Baal or whether it's Jehovah, as long as the grass grows, long as the crops grow, long as the, you know, long as we got stuff in the bank, we're serving. That's what they did. So he said that, that they had, look at verse 8, Ephraim said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity of sin. It says, what happens is the fatter they got, the richer they got, the more wealthy they become, the more arrogant they became. And say, I ain't doing nothing wrong. And the, 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 whole, the whole proof of doing right or wrong was how much money I got. How much power I got? How many possessions do I have? That proves me right or wrong. It's funny how arrogance and wealth are often connected. The better we do, the more arrogant we are. We suffer from that in our own church. We're about to have a, a, a business meeting to, to recognize that, you know what, let me say this. If our people, the people in this room, would serve and faithfully and give faithfully, we wouldn't have a budget problem. Did you know that? I ain't talking about people outside of the room. I'm talking about people in this room. We wouldn't have a budget problem. But we have an extreme budget problem, an extreme budget problem where we can't even raise money for support for missionaries. Now, we don't have a money shortage. We have a faithfulness shortage is what we have. We, we have what Israel had is, is that, look, they were arrogant because of their riches. They said, I, in all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. What they had been blessed, they weren't honoring God, and they had been self-deceived into thinking that they had done no wrong. But God was calling them out. He was calling them out. Here's the remedy from God, verse 9. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. He says, look, I, I started with Jacob when he had nothing. 
I blessed him and brought him back. I protected him. And then when that nation, when that, when that man became a nation and they were slaves in Egypt, guess what? I brought him out. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. And he says, I will again make you dwell in tents. So he's saying, I might have to humble you now. When you had little... You were more likely to look to me and honor me. But now that you have much, you're looking in other direction. And you're looking in other ways. He says, well, I have to humble you. He's, this idea of, of um, making you dwell in tents reminds them of when they came out of Egypt and they were waiting to get into the promised land. They didn't have permanent homes. They were on the go, on the move all the time. They dwelt in tents. God says, it's a shame that you only serve me when you're humble. And you know, that's really a, a, that's really a challenge to us. Can we serve God when we've been blessed? Or does God have to deal with us in such a way that he has to humble us before we open our eyes and begin to serve him? God is pouring out to us and saying, serve him now. Look at verse, verse 6 again. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice. Those two words, love and justice. I believe he's talking about our vertical relationship with God and love and justice and how it, justice is talking about our horizontal relationship. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Hold fast to him how? Hold fast to love and justice. Love God. Make him your first again. Don't serve him merely out of convenience or even out of habit. Serve him out of a genuine love. What should engender that love? Well, the same thing he talked about is in the chapter. Think back to your history, how God has dealt with you, how God has been gracious to you, even though you have not always served him faithfully. Each one of us has that as our history. Each one of us. If we think back, if we're reminded back, and that's why he was taking Israel back to this man, Jacob, the trickster. He's saying, I have orchestrated and guided and superintended over everything in Jacob's life, even though he wasn't that model faithful person. Think back to that. Hold fast, he says, to love and justice. When we have a genuine emotion, commitment, love to God, it's going to impact our interaction with each other in justice. I say that because we don't really want justice with God. Justice with God will give us just what we deserve. We want justice with men. We want mankind to treat us on right terms. When we are loving God and, and respecting and honoring him in the right way, we will have gracious relationships with each other. We'll be gracious towards each other, first of all. And then he says, wait continually for your God. That's a key term because it's saying if we're going to live by faith, we're, we're, we're going to actually be patient. We're going to look for God to work. We're going to trust that God will work. And we're going to wait until he works. We're not going to jump into it. And the idea is kind of like the, 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 the thought of, of, of Rebecca taking her son and said, you know, God may have promised that, that Jacob is going to be the one, but I feel like I got to jump in there and do something other something extra God says wait on God continually expect trust him to do what he says he will do in his word and live by that don't jump the gun don't 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 jump ahead don't take things into your own hands do what God would have you do in in terms of the nation of Israel he says if you suffer in your finances serve God and trust that he will bring glory out of all of this. Not that you have to go outside of the means that God has provided for you to do what he's called you to do. Trust him. Obey him is what he's saying. In verse 13, he says, by, a, by the prophet, the Lord brought 
Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. God has revealed his word, and he's revealed it through his prophets, and he's spoken and he's protected his people. What he's saying is, I've been faithful. I've been faithful to proclaim to you my will and my purpose. I've been faithful to you to to watch over you and to protect you. And then we get to verse 14 where he says, it's Ephraim has given bitter provocation. What are you saying? Ephraim's unfaithfulness has provoked the Lord to wrath. God has been faithful. We see that in the life of Jacob. We see that in our own life. Our own life. And he's saying, but Ephraim, God's people, have not been faithful, and their unfaithfulness has provoked God to wrath, provoked God to judgment, provoked God to chastisement. And he's saying, God is just in what he's done. The, the charge to us has been given already. And it's in verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Notice he says, by the help of your God, return. He's begging and pleading with Israel to submit to him. God is begging and pleading his people today to live a life of faith in him, faith and obedience, commitment and love, a vertical um, love towards God, a horizontal love and justice and grace towards others. God is calling us to that today. He says, I have worked in your past in all these ways and been gracious. Don't turn away from me now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge in our own individual lives. We can see how it matches up privately with our own lives. And we pray now with your help, with your help, dear Lord, we return to you. We acknowledge our sin, our areas where we're prone to stray. And we turn to you. We walk by obedience with you. We come to surrender to you, to acknowledge that we want to walk in obedience to you. We want to obey in, in every area of our lives. Make it clear to us those areas that we need to submit, we need to turn over. Help us not to be arrogant in our thinking. Turn us away from any arrogant spirit. Turn us away from any spirit that would deceive us and cause us to think that because we have been blessed that we have nothing that we've done wrong. Turn us, give us a heart to you, a heart towards you and a heart towards your people, a heart to remember your grace in our history and to serve you faithfully now. You have always been faithful. Help us to live <laughs> not like the trickster, Jacob, but to recognize even when we have done that, you've been faithful, and we should therefore serve you, commit to you, trust you, walk with you, obey you. In Jesus' name we pray.